This morning's really special, guys. Uh, I, I probably say that all the time, and I genuinely mean it when I say it, uh, but this morning's really special. Um, like I said, Chad's going to preach, and one of the things that we really value as a church is this idea of multiplication. Um, not just adding, you know, I think the church has been content with just adding people into a space and get, collect as many people as you can, but when I read the New Testament, I see Jesus investing in a, I see Jesus making disciple, making disciples. Uh, like in the same way that you would sow a seed that would result in a tree that would produce more fruit that would have seeds, it's just that, this idea of multiplication, right? We want to see that with disciples. We also want to see that with gifts, with gifts of the Spirit that God uses to declare his love, okay? It's not just, li- it's not just, it's not limited to preaching, but preaching is a huge, um, a huge piece of that. Uh, I believe that Chad has a teaching gift. Um, his mind works in a very unique way. He's a very intelligent man. Come up here. Give him a hand. <clears throat> um, there's something that you need to know about Chad, though. Um, one, he's, he's a really special guy. He has sacrificed so much to see this church plant happen. Um, he wouldn't broadcast this, but he was with us in the very first church plant in San Diego, okay, helped get that thing going with us. Um, he met his now wife in that community, Melissa. She's right here. Yes. <clears throat> um, and then they both moved to South Bay, San Diego, where Priscilla is currently, where we were prior, um, to help get that church plant going as well, to help um, facilitate growth and see, see culture start to uh, be created in a gospel-centered way. And then, I mean, he, okay, so Chad's an engineer, okay? He, he works in downtown San Diego. They moved all the way here to Temecula. The dude chose to spend like 18 hours a day in a car commuting to work, to and from work, to see this church plant get established. Yes, that's worthy of a round of applause. Um, Jesus is always the exalted one. He's always the center of everything with us. Um, but Romans 12 talks about this idea of outdoing one another and showing each other honor. Um, frankly, the sacrifices that Chad and Melissa have made to see this church plant happen, they deserve some honor. They really, really do. And I want to do that now publicly. Uh, so grateful for this man, his friendship. Um, we've had ups and we've had downs, but he will tell me the truth. He loves me. He loves Herrick. He loves this church. Uh, he's a comrade. He really, really is in the, the spiritual battle of advancing God's kingdom by planting churches. Okay. Not only that, this message that he's been preparing, I'm, I can't wait for you to hear it. I think it's going to be profound for our church. Um, I think it's already, I already know what he's going to say, and it's already ministered to me multiple times and challenged me and inspired me to follow Jesus more intimately and more closely. So what I want to do is I want to pray for Chad, and then we'll, we'll, we'll give it a go, okay? Father, thank you for the ways that you love us. Thank you that you're with us and that you desire to speak to us now, Holy Spirit, through Chad. I pray that you would... Um, You'd really anoint his mouth right now. I pray that you'd give him a ton of confidence in his identity in you right now, that he'd just be so secure that he, that he is your beloved son, whom you love and whom you're well-pleased because he's in Christ. So before he says a word, I pray that his soul would rest knowing that you chose him, that you love him. And not only did you choose him for salvation and for adoption, but you chose him to minister to us this morning. Um, This is your sovereign will. This is your sovereign grace on us as a church. So would you use him to bless us? Holy Spirit, we love you. We're grateful for our brother. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
Okay, we're a people of grace, and grace is getting what you do not deserve. So, before Chad even says a word, would you give him a huge round of applause? Good morning, everyone. It's really happy to be here. Thank you, Tom, for the way too kind introduction. I've never been called a comrade before, so it's kind of exciting. Um, yeah, like everyone's been kind of saying this morning, like I'm really happy to be here for the first Sunday of 2019. Cannot believe it's 2019. I feel like it was 2008 yesterday. Um, and my hope is that everyone got to enjoy their holiday season. My wife and I were over in Hong Kong celebrating with her family. Got back Tuesday night, so if you're tired this morning, jet lag has been full effect this whole week, so I'm with you. Um, This morning, we're going to be going through Matthew 7, uh, verses 24 through 27. Um, So go ahead and pull out your Bibles when I do that. I think this Sunday is usually reserved for a talk on um, New Year's resolutions, talking about eating healthy or going to the gym more and all those kind of things, and we're going to have a talk somewhat about a New Year's resolution. I'll try to fit that theme a little bit. I remember last year around this time, Melissa and I were like, okay, we're going to eat healthy this year. So we were grocery shopping in one of the local grocery stores, and we were walking and we saw ground turkey on sale for like $1.50 a pound. Do you guys know how much ground turkey costs on a normal basis? Like four bucks. So I, I grabbed like four of them and put them in the cart, and then I turned around and Melissa had like 10 more. <laughs> we went home with like 15 pounds of ground turkey to start the new year. It took us about three months to eat it. Um, My hope this morning is that we have that same amount of excitement for the topic we're going to talk about this morning, which is building foundations. There we go. Not too exciting, but it'll make sense, I hope. Um, Before we dive in, I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this Sunday. God, thank you for family, um, a place to call home. It's really cool to hear that word this morning multiple times already. Um, so I pray that you just be with us, that you teach us about you this morning, and that, yeah, we can have a great time together. So we love you and thank you. Amen. So I'm going to ask you a bit of a random question. Um, how often do you think about the soil or the dirt beneath your feet? Do you ever ask questions such as, what is it made of? How strong is it? What are its properties? Do you ever think about the foundations of the buildings you live in, the buildings you walk in, like this church? what the foundation is under that wall. Do you ever think about what would happen if the foundation of the building you were in kind of gave away, kind of how scary that would be? My guess is that most of you don't go walking around thinking about that stuff, but I do because I'm a structural engineer down in San Diego during the week. So hopefully that doesn't weird you out. Um, But for for most of you, I don't know if you know what a structural engineer does, um, but I'll help explain a little bit so you kind of get an idea of what I do on a daily basis. Um, my friends and Tom and some guys have a running joke, and they like to call me an architect. And I usually, you know, pretend to be offended. And the main difference between architects and engineers is architects don't believe in gravity, right? So they say, hey, Mr. Engineer, can I put a canopy over here? I was like, yeah, we're going to need some columns right here. It's like, I don't like columns. Can you just hang it from the sky or something? It's like, nah, it doesn't really work that way. right, so I, as an engineer, design buildings. I design columns and beams and foundations and slabs and concrete, steel, all those kind of things. Um, so I'm going to use this building idea throughout the sermon today, so hopefully um, it makes sense. Um, but yeah, I think about these questions when I walk into buildings, and she'll laugh at me when we go into restaurants, like, oh, this building's kind of cool. You know, I'm like that nerdy guy who, who looks at buildings. Um, 
So it's, it's, if you haven't asked these questions, I'm going to kind of ask you to think like an engineer this morning. And maybe you've had foundation issues with the house you live in or a building you work in. Anyone have foundation issues with the house? Yeah, you may know the frustration and the pain it is of dealing with foundation problems. Doors won't close right, like things are just off. And if you haven't had personal experience, has anyone heard about the Millennium Tower in San Francisco, the Leaning Tower of San Francisco? One person. So I got one and one, doing great. Okay, two. He's just raising his hand to help me out, dude. Yeah, I'm going to use this story. I'll show a picture of it. This is the Millennium Tower in San Francisco. So this is a 58-story luxury condo skyscraper right in downtown, finished in 2009. So Joe Montana bought a condo in this place and. Since 2009, this building has sank 17 inches and tilted to the right 14 inches in like nine years, right? And what would cause this building to sink and and rotate? Had some foundation problems, right? So this morning, I'm going to be using this foundation idea to talk about something that God has been stirring my heart spiritually, talking about the foundation of our lives. So I'm going to go ahead and give some context to the verses we're about to read. So this is... Uh, chapters 5 through 7 is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, right? So he he starts his ministry, he goes out to the desert, he calls the disciples, and then he goes throughout Galilee and he starts teaching to the crowds. And this is like his big first sermon he's ever given. Like the, the most important, greatest sermon ever given on the face of this planet. Like way better than I'm gonna do today. And, and at the, these are the last verses of that sermon. So you know how Tom and Herrick, they're finishing a sermon, they'll say, hey, everyone, pay attention to these things as we head out into today. This is Jesus' like, hey, everyone, pay attention to all the stuff that I just talked about. And this is where we pick up, right? So in verse 24, in Matthew 7, we'll go ahead and read it. It says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came And the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So most of us likely don't walk around and look at building foundations, so we're kind of oblivious to the building foundations that are around us. And I'm going to argue today that most of us don't spend the time to understand the building, the foundation that our lives are built on. What is it founded on? What are its properties? How strong is it? We often find out once the storm comes and our house falls down. And it can be devastating. And I think we've all, if we've lived life long enough, we know that's true. So Jesus here is talking about the foundation of our lives and the soil under that foundation so today I'm going to talk about three things I think these verses talk about um, with our lives and, and how to build a foundation on something different than, than sand. So one, we're going to talk about the costs associated with building on sand. Two, we're going to talk about um, how to build your foundation on a rock instead. And three, we'll talk about the results of building your foundation on the rock. So the cost, how, and then the results. So let's go back to verse 26. The cost of building on sand. It says, And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So in these verses, we see Jesus say, Here's all my commands. 
obey or disobey, great will be the fall of it. So he's basically saying disobedience leads to kind of destruction. So let's go to the Millennium's Tower real quick. I'm going to use this as an illustration. What would happen with this building to cause it to sink? It's had a foundation problem. A disclaimer, I was not the engineer on this building. My company was not the engineer on this building. Had nothing to do with it. And I don't honestly know the, the actual inner workings of it, but I'm going to use that as an illustration. In case some family member has worked on the building, I'm not trying to throw anyone under the bus. Um, so big portions of San Francisco are built on layers of mud. So all, most of downtown San Francisco is like 200 feet of mud. Right? I'm going to get a little nerdy. You guys follow me here? Um, and due to the weight of this building, it, if it's on mud, it's just going to sink and cause problems. So what they build under these is a foundation, a big concrete block with piles all the way down through the soil. And there's a picture that I'll show right here, a little cross-section. So there are little piles that go down, like concrete tubes filled with rebar that go down like 60 feet for this building, for example. And don't pay too much of the slide. You could probably take it off. I don't want you to read all this stuff there. <laughs> so yeah, they're, they're built on these piles that go down from the foundation, the, the concrete of the building, all the way down to the rock. You know, and this developer of this building back in 2009 got a geotechnical engineer that says that we don't need to go down to rock like all the other buildings around here. We're just going to go down 60 feet. The geotechnical engineer said that over the lifetime of the building, about 100 years, it's only going to sink 12 inches, like evenly. And in less than 10, it's already sank 17 and tilted 14. So something happened. The developer tried to save cost. He tried to cut corners and went down only 60 feet. That building cost $350 million to build from the developer. That's how much he had to pay to get that building built. Any idea on the repair cost to fix it now that the foundation is busted? $200 million. You wonder how much it would have cost to build the piles down another 140 feet in the first place? $10 million. So friends, like I, one thing I think that rings true for me and maybe most of you is that this false appearance that obeying Jesus is costly. But the cost of sin is often way more costly than obedience in the first place. This is one thing I think that rings true for me and probably you guys is that there's this false appearance that obedience to Jesus is costly. Following God's laws and commands are costly. But the cost of sin is so much more costly. And if you're anything like me, we've seen this play out in my life over and over again. But I recalled a, a, a time that kind of changed the course of my life was probably a little over 10 years ago. I was in college at UCSD. Um, I'd been dating this girl for about four years, and I went to a church service on a Sunday, church gathering, and I clearly remember God telling me that this was not the relationship for me. She was not Christian. We were living in sin, sleeping together. And I, I remember so clearly God's like, this is not the girl for you. Walk away. I was like, nope, not going to happen. I need her. I idolized her. I got my self-worth, my identity, Everything in my life surrounded by making this girl happy. And I was the foolish man who built on the sand. And the floods came, and the wind blew, and the rain fell, and great was the fall of it. About a year later, we're now in a long-distance relationship. I get a phone call, and she ended the relationship with a phone call. Five years. And I didn't see her for another two years after that. And a month after that, I get a phone call from another friend of mine saying that she'd been seeing other people up there the entire time we were doing long distance. Obedience would have been costly. I would have lost the relationship. 
But disobedience, I got betrayed and hurt in far deeper ways than losing a relationship. Do you guys have an example of this? A moment where you knew you were disobeying God? You said, nope, not going to do that. I know better. And great was the fall of it. Or maybe right now today in this moment, the Spirit's moving and you know there's something that God's calling you to obey in an area of life, to do something that you may not want to do. You know, if we look through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and the topics he teaches on, maybe it's something you need to forgive. Or maybe you're loving money or judging others or lying or cheating or stealing, not forgiving, breaking your word, taking revenge, topics all throughout the Bible. Another thing we see when we disobey is that it doesn't just affect you, it affects your family, it affects everyone around you. You know, if the developer in the beginning, when he disobeyed, he affected the hundreds of people that had bought condos in that place, that poured in millions of dollars to a place to call home. The median price of one of those condos when it first came out was $4.75 million for like just the mid-level one. And in a time in this last decade when home prices have skyrocketed, you can buy for $2 million now, when it's 60% off, just because it has foundation problems. So I think we're often ignored or are blinded by the truth. We have this false sense of control that we know better than God and that obeying God is going to be more painful than obeying. And if you've had foundation problems, you know that foundation problems pretty bad. And the scariest and most hopeless part of disobedience is that it leads to eternal destruction and separation from God. So we read in Ephesians 5, it says, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, like I was with the relationship, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons and daughters of disobedience. So the ultimate cost of disobedience is like the tsunami of the wrath of God. Like, I don't think we can even comprehend the wrath of God. We read stories in the Bible about it, but that's hopeless. It's scary. It's bleak. And it's good to think about that because then the the bad news lets you see the good news. And that will lead me to my second point. If we're on sand, how do we get on rock? How do we build on rock? Let's go back to verse 24. It says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them would be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. So from these verses, hear the words of Jesus, obey, you're like the wise man who built on rock. So this idea of obedience helps you build on rock. And we see this in real life. If you don't have sex before marriage, you're not going to get an STD or have a a pregnancy outside of marriage. If you don't steal or cheat at work, you're not going to lose your job. If you don't do drugs, there's no addiction, there's no overdose, there's no death. See, obedience to the commands of Jesus is is just wise. He created us. He knows how we should live our life. And yes, like obedience may cost you something. Being a generous person means you have to take money out of your pocket and give it to someone else. You don't have that money anymore. Being honest at work and potentially losing out on promotion, it costs you something, right? 
So we're not saying obedience isn't costly. We're saying it's less costly than disobedience. But if I stopped here and said, okay, everyone, obey, have a good new year, like, we're in trouble, right? In Romans 7, some of my favorite verses, Paul's talking about this kind of internal struggle we have with obedience. Put it up here. It says, for I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Not if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So that was no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. This is like Paul, like he wrote a piece of the Bible, saying, like, I can't obey. So if Paul can't obey and we can't obey, like, what do we do? This is the good news. This is the gospel. Like, enter grace, enter God's plan for redemption, like, enter Jesus. In Philippians, it says, Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with a God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Like, this is the good news. Like, this is our hope. When we can't obey, this is our hope. That when we disobey and we put our faith in Jesus, that we get his perfect obedience to the Father. Like, this is like the great turn. We give him our sin, he gives us his perfect obedience. It's insane. In Luke 22, right before Judas sells him out, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's praying to God, his Father, and he says, Father, if you're willing... Remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your wills be done. So Jesus obeyed and faced death on a cross. He knew the pain, the taunts, the rejection from men, the betrayal, the beating, being pierced in the side, the crown of thorns. He knew that was coming and he chose to obey. He says, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Like, I have to believe that there had to be another way. That he would have preferred another way. But he wanted you, he wanted me that much that he obeyed his father and was obedient to the point of death on a cross. He knew his father was going to have to turn his back on him. Like, he was so stressed and so anxious that it says, like, Blood was falling to the ground. Great drops of blood was falling to the ground because he was so stressed, so anxious. So like, God, like, I don't want to, I have to do this. I, I love them too much not to. I'll trust you. I'll trust your plan. I'll trust your will for my life. But, but great drops of blood, like, yeah, you can see the just anguish he's going through in making that decision of obedience. Obedience costs Jesus something. It cost him his life. It cost separation from his father. It cost God to lose his son. But the cost of losing all of us was far greater to him. See, this sacrifice, this act of love, this is our motivation to obey. This is what allows us to transform our lives, to obey Jesus. That's the only way we can obey. Paul's talking, but we can't do it on our own. We can't obey. There's too much sin in 
in our life, in our hearts, in our flesh. About five years ago, I was a C-list invite to our friend's wedding. It means like two days before, they give you a call like, hey, can you make on Saturday? I'm like, yeah, dude, I'll be there. Um, and I remember there, I sat next to this really cute bridesmaid that had a nervous giggle. You may know her. Um, and I remember that night, God was commanding me to ask for a phone number. And I said no. And I... Uh, I couldn't sleep that night because I was disobedient. You know, I was like, man, I really feel really bad about, bad about this. And I prayed to God, and I was like, can I please see this girl again? And I felt like him say, calm down, you're going to see her again, and she's going to be really important to you. And I was like, cool. And then I go to gospel community two weeks later at Tom Ebony's house, and then she walks through the door, going like this, just like she's doing right now. <laughs> and I got the opportunity to ask for a phone number, to walk her to her car, to ask her out to lunch. And we start dating, like every relationship, we lived happily ever after, right? Nope. <laughs> a couple years later, we hit a rocky patch. Kind of that make it or break moment of our relationship, where it's like, are we going to do this? Or, like, are we going to do this or are we not? You know, because I didn't know. And at that time, like, I had a ton of anxiety, a ton of fear. Still this deep-rooted idolatry of, like, needing, a woman needs someone to say, like, yes, you're good enough for me. Kind of that pain that I experienced with betrayal, like not being good enough. And I desired that from Melissa, like, so much. Luckily, she didn't give that to me. It caused me to turn to God, right? So I had this opportunity, you know, Danny was going down to South Bay to plant, restored South Bay. And I felt during some prayer meetings, we kind of had a prayer meeting about like, hey, are you interested in doing this? So I went, and I felt God clearly saying like, you need to go down to South Bay. And I go to Melissa, I was like, hey, you want to go down to South Bay? She's like, no, I'm not going to go. I'm going to go to another church. Obey God and go down to South Bay, potentially lose Melissa. She's going to go to another church. I knew that was basically writing on the wall, like we're not going to continue seeing each other if we're going to different churches. And I'm over here and you're over there. And I was like, all right, God. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because I had been founded on the rock. That time I chose obedience and went down to plant South Bay. And Melissa came, kicking and screaming. <laughs> but she came. And our story got to continue. I got to see her baptized down at that church. Beautiful moment. So we live like in this like law and grace tension where the law reveals our sin. We see our shortcomings, and then we see the good news of Jesus and his deep love for us, and then we're able to make a different choice. We're able to respond to his love for us and act and respond with obedience. So that moment taught me that God's trustworthy with my relationship with her. He's good. He knows what he's doing. And I could have obeyed, and she may not have come down. It was a very real possibility, but she did. But I knew that I could trust him. But that didn't teach me that storms weren't going to come. That no rain, that no wind, that no storms are going to come. And that will bring me to my last point. The result of building your foundation on the rock. See, Melissa and my story has continued. Obviously, we're here. About four months before our wedding and maybe a month before Tom and Ebony kind of moved to Temecula to plant this church. We're down at South Bay. And Andy Rogers, he's the head pastor of Uptown San Diego, he was at South Bay kind of 
preaching about like the restored network of churches that kind of Tom's talked about a little bit. And he's talking about how Tom is going to teach prof- prof- prophetic trainings and, and Brad's going to do some like teaching trainings. And at the end of the sermon, I look over at Melissa and she's like bawling. And I'm like, we're talking about like a network of churches. Like, why are you, what are you crying, man? Like, what's going on? And at that time, that, during that service, she felt God calling her to come up here to Temecula to plant this church. And being like, I don't want to go up there. My house is right here. I can go to work in three minutes. And she shared that with me. And I was like, all right, well, I trusted South Bay. Let's, I think we have an opportunity here to obey God with our marriage, with our life as we started out. So we got the keys to our house in Temecula one day, the day before our wedding. And then moved all our stuff right after we got back from honeymoon and moved up here. And it's been crazy. <laughs> cost us something, but it's been beautiful to see God work in our lives, to work in her life. There's been challenging moments, there's been storms, there's been rain, and there's been wind, but our foundation has been on the rock. So like eternally, God promises joy, he promises safety eternally, he promises freedom when we obey his commands. So for Millennium Tower in San Francisco, like when the building gets repaired and the foundation is level, an earthquake is filed means, according to science, is going to hit San Francisco. But when engineered correctly, the building's going to withstand the storms. It's going to be able to stay safe. And just like how being disobedient affects people around you, your family, like being obedient has a positive effect. So I attend a Structural Engineers Association of California annual convention every year. It's a real thing. <laughs> it gets pretty rowdy. Uh, and the, and the, and, and a big topic these last two years have been this idea of resiliency. It's like the buzzword of structural engineering right now. About 10 years ago, it was like green buildings and lean. Now it's resiliency. This idea that um, resiliency is the capacity to recover quickly from like difficulties, or this idea of toughness. So we talk about as structural engineers in, in California is how resilient is our community? How resilient is our, is our cities? You know, if an earthquake hits San Francisco, how quickly can that city get back to operating under like normal operations. How good are the utilities? How good are the roads? What are the housing buildings like? What are the work buildings like? If all the houses get damaged, you're not going to live at your work. If all the work buildings get damaged, no one can go to work. We kind of saw this after Hurricane Katrina. It's been over a decade, and and, uh, New Orleans is still not the same in economic capacity that it was before the storm. So there's this kind of buzzword of, of resiliency, and I think we see this in these verses. I think if we each obey Jesus, our family is going to be really resilient. We're going to have a tough family. We're going to be able to withstand the storms together. And I believe when our foundations get of our own house, we're going to be able to look at our neighbor and be others focused. Like if I know that I'm totally safe in Jesus, I could look at my neighbor who's making some poor decisions and not being wise and being like, hey, I have time to spend with you because I know I'm good. I know I'm in Jesus. It can be others-focused. You know, if the developers of the Millennium, Millennium Tower actually loved and cared for the people that were going to live in there, maybe they would have spent the $10 million to build piles down the ground. So I think this year we have this opportunity as we obey Jesus as a family that we're going to have a really resilient, a really tough family. 
You know, if you're in Florida and you're, you know, hurricanes coming and you're boarding up your windows and putting sandbags and making sure your house is good, but your neighbors across the street barbecuing, you're probably going to go like, hey, bro, like the storm's coming. You want to do something about it, right? That's kind of the mentality we can have when we, we know storms are coming. You see, Jesus, the obedience of Jesus kind of can propel us not only have a good foundation for our hearts, but a good foundation for our church as a family. And that's something I want to see happen so much in this church, within this family of people, that as we obey Jesus, that we're going to be tough and we're going to be strong and we're going to be able to withstand the storms and the rain and the wind. So I'll go ahead and call up the worship man. See, throughout the Bible, God provides many commands, many laws, many things that we are called to obey. These aren't to ruin our fun or, you know, they're to guide us and direct us. He's our creator. He knows how we should be living our life. See, obedience is a daily act of responding to the grace of God, to what he did on the cross, so that each and every moment we have the opportunity to obey him. To say, God, not my will, but your will be done. And not in just big stuff, like moving up to Temecula to plant a church, but in small stuff. And the way do you respond to your kid when they disobey the way you respond to your spouse when you're tired and you just want to relax. Whether or not to forgive that person that hurt you. But also, like, what school to put your kids in. What to eat at this meal. What to do on a Friday night. I think one thing Melissa and I have experienced is this kind of, since moving up here, I've kind of had this pride in myself that, like, hey, I wake up every, every morning and I go down to San Diego, like, I obeyed God. Like, where's my, where's my no storm time, right? Like I deserve something. And there's this like self-righteousness that I'm kind of doing everything in my own power. And I think God is inviting me in this moment to kind of respond to be him daily, to say, God, okay, not what you want me to do and where do you want me to live to plant a church, but what should I do today? And I think that's led to me being just proud. And Melissa, like just seeing her insecurities kind of bubble up that have affected friendships and affected times. But I know that even with perfect obedience, that storms, they're going to come. You know, cancer is going to happen. Miscarriages will still happen. Suffering is still going to happen, and death is still going to happen. And the rain and the storms and the winds are going to come. For Game of Thrones fans, like winter is coming. (laughs) But one day they won't. We can rest eternal peace and joy amidst the suffering and pain on earth because God promises one day that all things will be made new that our bodies that heaven and earth a new earth a new heaven he's going to be restoring the earth restoring us and that pain and suffering will be no more and I look forward to this day like so much so this morning I want to end by taking some time to reflect and ask some questions What is the soil beneath your feet today, beneath the house of your life made of? What are its properties? How strong is it? How tough is it? What kind of foundation are you building your life on? Are you aware of your neighbor's foundation? Are you aware of the soil that your friend's house is built on? And if it's answering these questions, it's rock, like, praise God, that's beautiful. Like, be others focused. Be there when your friend's house falls down because he's not obeying Jesus and help him rebuild. 
on rock. And if it's on sand, like, let's respond to the grace of Jesus and accept his perfect obedience on our behalf. So friends, like what areas do you feel God calling you to obey this morning? I get a sense of the Holy Spirit is kind of moving in some of you right now and you kind of know. And you may have the temptation to be like, no, God. But I want to challenge you and I'm challenging myself now to say, okay, God, I trust you. I trust in who you are. I trust in who you are. And I will obey. So I'm going to go ahead and call up Tom or Herrick to introduce us to a time of worship together as a family. But yeah, thank you guys.